I invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to the sixth chapter of Luke this Lord's Day as we continue our study of Luke and as we uh, prepare uh, for our celebration of the resurrection next Lord's Day and begin today with our observance of Palm Sunday. You'll notice that we'll be concluding our service today with the Lord's Table. And the Lord's Table is open to you who have made a public profession of your faith in our Lord Jesus. We invite you then to partake uh, in the Lord's Supper with us at the end of our service. If you've yet to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and make that public profession, then uh, we would ask you to observe uh, as we receive the Lord's Supper at the end of our service. But for now, we're going to begin by picking back up in Luke's Gospel, if you've been with us, uh, here in chapter 6, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Plain, uh, which is very similar to what we read in Matthew 7 and the Sermon on the Mount. And yet these are likely two different sermons given at two different times and two different locations. Although in these sermons, Jesus mentions a number of similar things. In fact, he closes both sermons the same way, and it's the closing of his Sermon on the Plain that we're going to look at today. But hopefully as we've been walking through this sermon, you've seen how Jesus has addressed what even today are a number of cultural misunderstandings about the teachings of Jesus. For example, we've talked about how in our culture today, you'll hear people who don't really know anything of that Bible seek to try to quote part of this passage and say, well, we shouldn't judge because Jesus told us not to judge. Uh, but that's not what Jesus says in this passage. He says, judge not in the context of teaching us what it means to first examine ourselves and judge ourselves so that we can then rightly turn and judge others, to remove the log from our eye so we can remove the speck from our brother's eye. And we also hear people all the time say, well, you know, nobody knows the heart. You can't judge the heart. And yet Jesus in this sermon says we can know what's in a person's heart by the fruit in fact, he says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know a tree by its fruit. And so what we've seen in this passage is Jesus really illustrating what that means to rightly judge and rightly examine fruit. We talked last Lord's Day about the fruit that we see in Galatians chapter 5 and what it looks like to be a genuine follower of Jesus. And, and really, we'll pick back up on that now because the way Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Plain is by pointing out very clearly that the fruit that distinguishes those who are indeed genuine followers of Jesus and those who are not, and it is the fruit of obedience. And so we're going to look at this as we look now at the close of this sermon, and we're going to pick up in Luke 6, verse 46, and out of reverence for God's word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand as I read this passage for us. And Jesus begins his conclusion with this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built his house 
on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You would pray with me. Father, as we consider the concluding words of our Lord Jesus in this sermon, I pray that we would take to heart what it is Jesus says directly here. And what he says about obedience and how that obedience relates to our faith. I pray, God, that you might understand, help us to understand clearly the gospel and what it means to respond to the gospel. Because one day the flood will come and it will be a flood of judgment and the ruin will be great. And so I pray, Lord, that none of us would lie in ruin because our hope rests in Jesus and that that hope would be evidenced by the obedience in our life. Prepare our hearts, Lord, as we walk through this passage to come to this table. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, I came across an episode on the History Channel and this episode was following a, a man who was seeking to get a violin appraised. He had purchased uh, some property, and on this property was a, a house and a, and a barn, and in looking through this house and barn, he'd come across a number of things, uh, one of which was a crate. And when he had opened up that crate, he discovered an item that looked to be of great value. It was a violin, and inscribed on that violin was this, Stradivarius. Now, if you know much about Stradivarius violins, you know that they, at this day and age, are, are nearly priceless. They go back to the 17th and 18th century. They were made by an Italian family, and they have great worth. And so this man, as he began to investigate his finding, he, he began to get more and more enthusiastic about what this treasure was likely worth, which led him to an expert appraiser that the History Channel was then following along. But his enthusiasm quickly turned to disappointment as this expert appraiser looked over the violin, examined the violin, and showed him why this was not a genuine Stradivarius. He said the name had been forged probably in the early 1900s, so rather than being worth several million dollars, it was worth several hundred dollars. But what struck me in this episode was the ending of it where this expert appraiser turned to the violin owner and said this, remember, just because something has a label on it, it doesn't mean it's real. As we come now to the concluding <laughs> remarks of Jesus in the sermon on the plane, I believe Jesus is making a very clear point along those lines. Remember, he is speaking directly to disciples. These are people who had decided to follow Jesus, who were recognized as people who were following Jesus. There were many in the crowd who had come to hear him preach. And then from the many were these disciples, these followers, and from the disciples were the twelve he had called out. But what we find is that these people who were bearing the label disciple, Jesus is now looking to them and essentially saying, just because you have the label, it doesn't mean you have genuine faith. 
I mean, remember what he's talked about up to this point as he's pointed out now that we know a tree by its fruit, that we can recognize what's in a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth. Like we talked about this last week as we addressed the issue that we, we do what we do because we are what we are. And Jesus here is saying if the things that we do don't correlate with the things he's commanded us to do, then that says something about our heart. In fact, he, he says it very directly here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you say you're following me when in fact you're not following me and you're not obeying my commands? What Jesus is pointing out here very clearly, I believe, is this, and I put this as the first point in your outline. I believe he's pointing out that one, the fruit of genuine faith is obedience. The fruit of genuine faith is obedience. When we talked last Lord's Day about what the Apostle Paul shares with us in Galatians 5 and how we can see the, the fruit of the Spirit and what that fruit looks like. And here now Jesus says there's a, a fundamental fruit, a foundational fruit that really, as we see this fruit, we, we see those others follow. And this is the fruit of obedience, which is why he asked this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you, and not obey? Now what's evident in the verse that follows is that Jesus is making it clear that, that genuine faith comes through a, a progression of three things that he mentions. And he says, first, there are people who come to him, and then second, they hear him, and then third, they obey him. But what he seems to be dealing with here is people who have very clearly, visibly, that they've come to him, and now they're listening to him, but they're not all obeying him. And yet, he says of these people that they call him Lord. <laughs> and we know from Romans 10 that a confession of Jesus as Lord is fundamental to saving faith, to coming to faith in Jesus. We, we come to faith when we repent and turn from our sins, and as we read in Romans 10, we, we confess Jesus as Lord. When we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, this is what we will gather to celebrate next Lord's Day. We celebrate the resurrection. And he says here that these are people who are making that confession. It's a confession that we've already seen in Luke's gospel. It's the confession that Simon Peter makes from his fishing boat. And there Jesus is before him, and, and he both acknowledges, Simon Peter acknowledges that he's a sinner, and at the same time confesses that Jesus is Lord. And it's the same confession that the leper makes when he says, Lord, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And now he is surrounded here by a great multitude, by many disciples. Hundreds have gathered around him. Hundreds who bear the label, disciple of Jesus. Who refer to themselves as followers of Christ. And to this many, he says, you, you call me Lord. In fact, the indication here would be they call him Lord rather than enthusiastically. <laughs> Lord, Lord. This is how you refer to me, Jesus says. He says, why do you refer to me this way if you don't obey what I say? And so they, they call him Lord, but they do not obey his words. 
J.C. Ryle, in reference to this passage, notes this. He says, Obedience is the only sound evidence of saving faith. And the talk of the lips is worse than useless if it's not accompanied by sanctification of life. And what he's basically saying here, there, there are many people, both in Jesus' day and our day, who, who like to talk the talk, but as we commonly say, that they don't walk the walk. And this is not a new problem. This was evident in Jesus' day. This has been evident through the history of the church. In fact, we, we see a, a clear example of it in John Bunyan's classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. If you've read The Pilgrim's Progress, then you're familiar with that, that, that scene that takes place where you have a Christian and faithful on their journey, and then you have this other character that Bunyan refers to as talkative. <laughs> And Christian is warning faithful about talkative. He, he's someone who likes to talk about Christian things, but there's no genuine fruit of obedience in his life. Bunyan writes it this way. Christian says he, he talkative, he talketh of prayer, of repentance, of faith, of the new birth, but he knows but only to talk of them. He thinks that hearing and saying will make a good Christian. And thus he deceives his own soul. Hearing is but a sowing of the seed. Talking is not sufficient to prove that the fruit is indeed in the heart and life. And let us assure ourselves that on the day of judgment, men will be judged according to their fruits. The end of the world is compared to our harvest, and you know men at harvest regard nothing but fruit, not that anything can be accepted that is not of faith. Well, what Bunyan is pointing out in this clear illustration to us is if we find ourselves as being those who, who love to talk about the faith and hear about the faith, we, we love to gather on the Lord's Day and hear these things proclaimed, we love to speak about these things, but there's no actual mark of obedience in our life, then we need to be warned. But because the day of judgment will come, and we will be examined by the fruit of our lives. And if that fruit indeed was the fruit of genuine faith, these are people like Talkative that Ryle refers to in his commentary on this passage as having profession without practice, of hearing Christ's words but not being interested in doing Christ's will. Jesus here, I believe, is referring to these same people that he refers to in his Sermon on the Mount. There he says this of them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, same term, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and hear this, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I mean, hear what Jesus says here again. He, he is describing people who, who wear the label and they bear the name Christian, disciple, 
follower of Christ. Not only that, but notice these ways in their life that this seems to be evidence. That they're doing mighty works in the name of Jesus. But the fundamental fruit that is lacking in their life, Jesus addresses here, they're not doing the will of the Father who's in heaven. They're not actually obeying Christ's words. And so of these people who bear this name and do these works but don't have genuine faith, Jesus says, I never knew you. And they hear that. He says, I never knew you. And he doesn't say, well, at one point in time I knew you, and you were doing pretty good, but then you became disobedient, and now I don't know you anymore. He's saying, even when you 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 bear that bore that label and you did those things, I didn't even know you then. Why? They didn't have genuine faith. They didn't have genuine saving faith. They, they came to Jesus, they heard Jesus, but they didn't obey Jesus. And friends, in our day and age of, of what we refer to as easy believism, that this tendency of people to come and to hear and to somehow think they can respond to the gospel without a response of repentance and obedience. Where somehow they can categorize their faith. Well, my faith is this part of my life, and the rest is mine, and I'm fine obeying Jesus up until the point that I don't want to obey Jesus. <laughs> because what Jesus said, that that's outdated, that's archaic, that's not realistic. I mean, if I obey Jesus... I'm going to kiss the profit margin goodbye. Can't do business like I did before if I really obey what Jesus says. Surely Jesus wants me to put food on the table and he wants me to feed my family. He wants me to take care of my employees. So, so, so surely there's some wiggle room. You know, He's giving me common sense and a business mind. and We have all kinds of ways of justifying and explaining away our lack of obedience. And friends, hear this. There's no such thing in the scripture as partial obedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And so Christ here is saying that there are people that he is standing in front of preaching to who are saying of him, Lord, Lord. But their life is not marked by obedience. And, and Jesus will say of them what he will say of us if this is us today. I never knew you. You can come to Jesus. You can listen to Jesus. But friend, if you don't obey Jesus, then the, then the clear evidence there that the tree that you are known as by your fruit is the tree of genuine unbelief. I believe it's entirely possible and in fact, the scripture, I believe, supports that, that we can indeed have genuine faith and struggle at times to obey. But when we come to faith in Jesus, we, we don't become in that moment perfectly obedient Christians. There's a, a work of sanctification that takes place from the, the point that we repent and believe until the point that we are taken to glory. And, and that road will be marked by struggles with sin at times. But the fundamental difference here is 
the person who when they struggle with obedience, they actually struggle and they repent and they confess and they turn to Christ and they, they pray that God would strengthen them. And the person who has in their genuine heart no actual desire to obey the things of God. No fruit of actual change in their life. No fruit of repentance. For, for one, I believe we read what we see referred to in, in 1 Corinthians 3, a, a young, growing, yet immature believer who, who is struggling but, but listening and is a true brother or sister in the faith. And the other is marked here, I believe, as Jesus says, it, it, one that doesn't have genuine faith. And the amazing thing here is what Jesus now gives us in this picture he gives is that for those who, who have genuine faith, that is marked by obedience, that that obedience then strengthens that genuine faith. And so we, we trust and we obey, and as we obey, that strengthens our trust so that we can better trust and obey, and as we do that, it strengthens our trust, and so we, we see this sanctifying work take place. Which brings us to that second point there in your outline, obedience to God's word, it strengthens our faith. And so now Jesus gives this, this illustration, this parable. And he says this, beginning in verse 47. Everyone who comes to me and hears my word and does them. So, so this person, they're not only listening and hearing and coming, but now they're doing. They're obeying. Their faith has works. Their faith produces works. Saving faith produces works. And he says, when this happened, let me tell you what this is like. He said, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against that house, he could not shake it because it had been well built. Now, remember again the context here. We refer to this as the Sermon on the Plain. We know that Jesus has come down the mountain with his disciples and these apostles and this great multitude, and they're gathered in this plain. And so that the picture here is of a, of a plateau. At least one side has a mountain. Probably others had hills and mountains. And in this setting... And it would have been common during great storms for the water to, to flood down those mountains and, and build as it came down and create ravines and create flooding in that plateau. And so Jesus is likely standing in a place that had experienced this. And there were certain times of the year where this was more prevalent and the rains were greater. And so people in preparation for this, they would build their houses first by digging into the ground and getting to a solid foundation of rock so that when the waters came up, the house would not wash away. And so Jesus in this setting, he very likely could have been preaching in a way where he is actually pointing to a house and saying, let me tell you what this is like. Exhibit A. I mean, there could have even been someone there digging a foundation when Jesus is preaching this sermon. And he's saying, let me show you how this person who has genuine faith, let me show you what that looks like. It looks like somebody with a deep and a firm and a strong foundation. And when the flood waters come, they do not wash away. 
I believe this passage is likely with the author of the poem that later became a hymn, How Firm a Foundation Had in Mind. When they wrote these words, we sang them just a few weeks ago. How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee and help thee and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous omnipotent hand. When through the deep waters I call thee to go, the rivers of sorrow shall not overflow, for I will be with thee, thy troubles to bless, and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. This, friends, is, is a picture that Jesus is giving us here of the person with genuine faith who not only comes to Jesus, and hears Jesus. But they obey Jesus. And with those acts of obedience comes a, a stronger and a deeper foundation so that when the troubles come, and the troubles will come, and when the waters rise, and the waters will rise, and when the very foundation is threatened, Jesus says it will not shake. And truly, this is what shows how deep our foundation is. It is when these waters rise. Which brings us to that third and concluding point. Number three, suffering and trials reveal whether our faith is genuine or not. And so Jesus now gives a picture of another type of house. He says, verse 49, but the one who hears, so they've come to Jesus, they, they hear Jesus, but who does not do what Jesus says. He says this of them. They're like a man who, who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And so the picture here is likely it's an identical house. Now, Jesus, if you know much about parables, and when Jesus uses parables, he, he usually uses an exaggerated picture. And so this isn't necessarily something he would be pointing to. In fact, I think he is drawing up for them a picture of such foolishness that no one could even imagine doing something so foolish. And what he's saying of this foolish person is, imagine going through this same process and putting up the walls and putting on the roof and building the house and furnishing the house and yet skipping this all-important step of actually laying the foundation. I believe what he's describing here goes back to the question he started with. And he's saying, why in the world would you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? And now he's saying that that's just utter foolishness. And I'll show you how foolish that is. I mean, we can understand this today, can't we? Imagine if you saved for the majority of your life to build your dream home. 
And you put money away and you went without a lot of things because you wanted to build this dream home and you, you saved up your money and you, you, you bought the land and you saved up your money and you prepared to, 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 to get everything together. You, you got plans together and you knew exactly the home you wanted built. But you weren't sure who was going to build that home for you. So you began to interview builders and you would send them your plans and you'd send them your budget and then they would get back to you. And imagine as they got back to you, if, if one of them came back and they were significantly cheaper than the others. And that piques your interest. And so you sit down with that builder. And they begin to describe to you the, the most elaborate fixtures and how they can put in all these upgrades and they can go over and beyond what you would ask for. And you're getting more and more excited. And then you, you, know, you ask the question, how is it you're able to do this so much cheaper than anyone else? And they say, well, that's easy. We, we don't put a foundation in. You're, you're, we looked at your lot and your land, and it's, it's pretty flat. We're just going to build the house right there, and when we build that house, I guarantee you, it won't look any different than the house down the street that has a foundation. It'll look identical. Now, most of us in this room, given that scenario, would probably not have another conversation with that building. Because if you know anything about anything, you realize that's probably an important step to put in. And as we've seen recently, winds can knock buildings down. And if it doesn't have a foundation, it's not going to stand. And no one in their right mind, no one would be so foolish as to build their dream home and invest a life savings in something that would not stand because it did not have a foundation. This is utter foolishness. And that's exactly the point Jesus is making. Why in the world would you call Jesus Lord? And would you go through all these outward motions and you put on this label Christian when your heart hasn't actually been changed, when your foundation isn't truly in Christ, why in the world would you gather this and each Lord's Day and sing these hymns and pray these prayers and open up this word and not obey Jesus? When I wrap up a sermon, oftentimes I'll refer to it as landing a plane. <laughs> And sometimes I land the plane really fast. Sometimes I kind of take my time and kind of glide in. I mean, Jesus, he just crashes the plane to the ground here. Because this is how he closes his sermon. When the stream broke, this house fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Amen. This is a sober word for us to consider on this Palm Sunday. Because Jesus, in all grace and truth and love and mercy that the Father could ever show anyone, Jesus here is showing that to those around him. 
Now, I believe this is a wake-up call for those who were following Jesus then and for us who follow Jesus today. To consider the ruin will be great on that day. But it doesn't have to be. Because we, in God's grace, He's given us this moment to consider is our foundation actually in Jesus or not? And He's given us a clear way to consider that. Look at your life. Are you obeying Jesus? Are you doing what Jesus tells you to do? Am I doing what Jesus tells me to do? And when you or I find we are not doing what Jesus calls us to do, are we repentant? Are we burdened and weighted down with conviction of sin that leads us then to repentance? Or are we like so many in this day and age who seemingly have no problem slapping on that label, Christian? referring to themselves, oh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I love Jesus. But there's absolutely no mark of obedience in their life. And in a culture that more and more clearly has gone in a way completely opposed to the things of God, they are swept up in that flood and they are going down that river and they don't have any problems. Jesus asks us, before we start gazing at them and passing judgment on them, to look at our own hearts in this moment, in this day, and ask ourselves the question, are we obeying Jesus? It's easy to look at the people outside the church and say, look at how they're not. Are we obeying Jesus? And it's fitting that we consider this when we come to the table. In fact, we're instructed to do this very thing before we come to the table. What Jesus teaches us here about examining ourselves and judging ourselves so that we can see clearly to examine and judge others, he invites us to do that each and every time we come to the table. In fact, in the instructions that were given in 1 Corinthians 11, we're told to do this very thing. Paul writes it this way, let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink the cup. And so when we come to the table, we come first by examining ourselves. Is there genuine fruit of obedience in my life? Do I bear not just the name, the label Christian, do I bear the fruit of the faith? And that fruit is not evident. If rather I am evidenced by sin and rebellion, and then we're called to examine ourselves and repent and then come to the table. We, we aren't told in the scripture. I don't believe what Paul's telling us here in 1 Corinthians 11 is, is the only way you can ever come to the table is if you are perfectly obedient and perfectly righteous and you're just doing everything perfect. Because <laughs> friends, if you and I could do everything perfect, there'd be no need for the cross and no need for the resurrection and no need for this table. We come to the table as weary saints. We come to the table as those who have trusted in Jesus and are, are seeking to walk by faith and not by sight. We come to the table as those who, who fall often, 
But through the grace of God, he, he picks us back up and he calls us to trust in him. If you indeed have heard the word of God and responded to the gospel call in faith and repentance, and now that faith and repentance is evidenced by fruit in your life, fundamentally a desire to obey God's word, then, then the invitation is to come. But before you come, examine yourself. Because it is very easy for us, even in this day and age, when there's so much darkness, even in this day, it is easy for us to come to this table as those who say of Jesus, Lord, Lord, who listen to the word, but who don't obey it. In fact, I believe this Palm Sunday, we, we observe that very thing historically because Palm Sunday commemorates that triumph entry where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And what does the scripture tell us? The crowds did. The crowds, they hail him as king. Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is coming. They, they lay down their, their cloaks, they lay down those palm branches so that the king may enter in. And yet, not long after that, a well, week doesn't even go by before we read the crowd yells something else. Crucify him, crucify because I believe in that crowd, that that crowd wasn't marked by genuine faith. I'm sure there were many who were. There were many genuine disciples, but there were also those among them who were quick to say, Lord, Lord. But their hearts hadn't genuinely been changed, and that's tempting for us to do. And so coming to this table gives us opportunity to pause and to consider to examine ourselves. And if we find that perhaps our profession was false. Perhaps this morning you're realizing your, your life's not marked by genuine repentance and faith. Then this examination probably needs to be extended into a conversation with others in your life, with your pastors, that we might pray for you and walk through the gospel with you, that you might genuinely repent and trust in Jesus and make a genuine profession of that faith and then genuinely come to the table. But if that genuine profession is yet to take place, then we ask you to observe as we partake. And so with that, I want to invite our deacons to come forward as we now respond to God's word by coming to the table together.